Okay, welcome everybody, Spiritual Psychotherapy, Episode 3. It's uh, really always a pleasure, you know, I never know what I'm going to come up with to speak about, um, and it's always a journey for me. So thank you for allowing me to to join on this journey with you. And, uh, you know, personally, it's it's always a question of how far out can I go and, and how much of the mystical are we really going to be open to? Um, and, you know, I personally, my personal belief is Hashem speaks through um, many different traditions in terms of communicating truths to humanity. Our tradition and the one that's true for us is Torah. But I believe when it comes to the mystical truth, many different traditions have expressed a very similar thing. And that's why I think it's just interesting for us to notice, like, well, this is the way that the Upanishads uh, put this. And the Upanishads are a very ancient um, Eastern text. And I want to just, you know, play for you a couple of, of lines from this because I think it's really, really beautiful. Um, okay, so we'll start at the 15th minute. I hope you guys can hear this video um and here just listen up and i really want to hear you we can pause it and i want to hear your feedback um in between each pause and just how this lands on you you know and what i always like to start the the class with is you know we spend most of our day in our jobs and whatever we're doing in our intellectual mind um but the truth is this is the time to not turn that off or reject it but to open ourselves in addition to that, to the, to the heart mind, to the live, you know, and to allow ourselves to open up to how does this feel emotionally? And we know that the logic itself is really just an outgrowth of the intuitive emotions. So try to allow this to just, you know, how does it hit you right into your live? Let's see. Just a little bit of background. This is a conversation between a father and a son. And the son is saying, please, Father, tell me more about this self. Tell me more about capital S, self, which is all that there is. As bees suck nectar from many a flower and make their honey one, so that no drop can say, I am from this flower and that. All creatures, no one, no not, they are that one. There is nothing that does not come from him. Of everything, he is the inmost self. He is the truth. He is the self supreme. So I think that's that's just a beautiful set of lines right there. So he says, "As bees suck nectar from a flower, from many a flower, and make their honey one, so that no drop can say I am from this flower or that. All creatures, though one, know not who they are." Sorry, that they are, sorry, it's very hard to to read the, the improper uh, um, transcript of this because it doesn't do it perfectly. But they don't know, really, that they really are actually one. And what does it say? There is nothing that does not come from him. Of everything, he is the innermost self. He is the truth. He is the self-supreme. So in modern philosophy, they'll say, oh, this is monism. Oh, this is the idea that really everything is all made of the same stuff. But I don't think it's saying that exactly. I think it's saying more that everything as it's experienced is really a different facet of this oneness. It's all experientially the same thing. Behind everything's experience is this oneness. So you think about like an ant or the experience of any kind of insect or any other kind of creature. And you realize, wow, hey, this is, you know, they, they all kind of experience life as though they're it. They are the ones at the center of their reality. So when you start to realize that, that every little peeking through of consciousness that exists in the entire world really has that same experience as we do in some little way, it's the center of its experience. That allows you to say, you know what, let me get out of my head. Even though I'm currently experiencing this as the center of my experience, there's many other centers of experience. And really, it's all the same stuff that's gluing all that together. It's a new way of conceptualizing because right now it's like, all right, I'm over here and the insect's over there. But this is saying, hey, wait, they experience me over here and them and them in the center. So it's, I kind of see it like that a little bit. 
And then I love the way he ends each section of this. He says, you are that Shrutakitu. His name is, his son's name is Shrutakitu. He says, you are that. You yourself are that stuff. That stuff that flows through everything. And we, we often call it the Tao, or some people call it existence. You can call it whatever you want, but you are that. It's a continuous emphasis of that. So we'll keep playing a little bit more. As the river is growing east and west, merge in the sea, and as the river is growing east and west, merge in the sea and become one with it, forgetting they were ever separate rivers, so do all creatures lose their separateness when they merge at last into pure being. There is nothing that does not come from him. Of everything, he is the inmost self. He is the truth. He is the self supreme. All right. So now we have another analogy. I hope it's starting to get intriguing. That it's like, okay. So as as the river is flowing east and west, right, and they they both merge into the sea, becoming one, and they forget that they were ever separate rivers. So too all creatures, when even though they think they're separate during their lifetimes. When they merge at last, in the end, it's all merging into this this vast cosmic ocean. Um, and pure being is that, is that experience. And there's nothing that does not come from him. Of everything, he is the inmost self. He is the truth. He is the self-supreme. So it's continuing to emphasize this point. And, you know, I find myself, when I try to intellectualize this, it doesn't help me. But then when I realize... Whatever I'm doing during my day, whatever it's it's almost like we're we're living this lucid dream of life. And the more I just kind of go about my day and then come back to the memory of this this fact, almost this intuitive fact that we're all part of this. We're all rivers flowing into that same ocean. The more it just puts me at ease, the more it makes me want to be present with what I'm doing rather than accomplishing and and figuring things out and trying to 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 amass things it just continues to to set me at ease so i think that's kind of the vibe i'm going for here in the beginning of this class Strike it with trunk, it's a bleed, but still live. Strike it there with a copy, would bleed, but still live. Itself as life supports the tree, which stands firm and enjoys the nourishment it receives. If the self leaves one branch, that branch withers. If it leaves the second, that too withers. If it leaves the third, that again withers. Let it leave the whole tree. The whole tree dies, just there, dear one. When death comes and the self departs from the body, the body dies, but the self dies not. There is nothing that does not come from him. Of everything, he is the inmost self. He is the truth. He is the self supreme. You are that for the kingdom. You are the So I love it. It just keeps going and it gives you example after example. You could play one more. Um, but how does it feel emotionally when you hear that, that like, you know, he is in every branch of that tree. If if the whole cosmos is like a tree, you would think, okay, if I, you know, if I cut the, the, the root, I get one kind of thing, but you cut different parts of the tree and you still get that same substance. It's trying to reemphasize that. And when you start to look at that, you start to feel that, wow, he's in the roots, he's in the trunk. He's in the branches. He's in, he's in the leaves. He's all of it. It gives you this sense of connection, and I think at the at the root of so much of our happiness is that spiritual connection, that connection to the whole universe. You know, I spoke on Shabbat about feeling very unhappy living in the city and feeling like this is a toxic environment. And I think a big part of that is we don't feel connected to nature enough. We don't feel connected to the land. We don't feel connected to the, to the people around us. So as a result of that, I think it creates the perfect recipe for mental illness. And that's why psychosis is doubly likely in an urban environment compared to a rural environment. So 
We'll play one more of these. But if you guys want, you can. You, if you have any comments, you let me know about just or you really just what I want is and what I hope for is that you guys will just allow this to hit you emotionally, and then when we when we do the Zohar, it'll hopefully this is already opening us up to whatever flows in when we do the Zohar. <laughs> Break the higher greater tree. Here it is. Break one. What do you see? The age, Father, are all exceedingly known. Break one. What do you see? You know, that hidden essence you do not see, dear one, from that a whole higher greater tree will grow. There is nothing that does not come from him. Of everything, he is the inmost self. He is the truth. He is the self supreme. You are that, Brother Keaton. You are that. Okay, so I think we'll we'll pause it there. Um, but for me, this is really just something that I meditate on. And you know, I go on these long walks and I I allow myself to be kind of enveloped in in this thought process, in this uh type of experience and i know like if you're looking for amassing of knowledge and if you're looking for like what did i learn at michael's class today it might sound like oh michael said all these trite things that i already knew about okay yeah the seed of a tree contains everything in that tree like then i already know that well you take it on a cosmic level why the the entire universe is implied by any piece of the universe and that's why it's all connected because you can't have this water bottle unless you have the, the streams of water that led into it and the rainwater and the whole water cycle that ever existed and the lumberjack who cut down the trees that, you know, provided uh, whatever some of these water droplets to end up being, uh, you know, evaporated into the air. and Everything in the whole universe is eventually implied by this. But I find I'm at a loss when I try to take this beautiful sounding thing and put it into words and tr and trying to explain it, it's almost like it's not necessary. So I'm going to leave it at that. I think, you know what, to be honest, I want to play one more thing. It's uh, also part of this. And it's a story about, I think, really personally, the reason I love this is I think it's almost a, it's almost poking fun at polytheism. And it's showing you that even these these Hindus in this time we're realizing that their idea of many gods really doesn't hold water. So I'll skip to that and we'll just listen to this story and then we'll we'll discuss briefly. Then we'll do some Zohar. It's, it's 29 minutes and 43 seconds in. Okay. 23, 29 minutes in. Here we go. If you do not, there is only darkness. He that tells it all and go beyond death. So here's the story. Once upon a time, the gods defeated the demon, and though the victory was brought about through the power of Brahman, the gods spoke to Ours is the victory, and ours is the power of glory. Brahman saw their foolish pride and appeared before them, but they recognized him not. They said to Agni, God of fire, find out who this mysterious being is. I will, promise Agni, and he approached the being. Who are you? Asked the mysterious one. I am Agni, God of fire, no need to Are you powerful? I can burn all on earth. Burn this, and Brahman placed a straw in front. The God of fire attacked the straw, but failed to burn it. And he ran back to the gods and confessed, I have failed to discover who this mysterious being is. I said to you, God of air, find out who this mysterious being is. I will come by you and approach the being. Who are you? asked the mysterious one. I am Vayu, God of air, king of space. Are you powerful? I can blow all the way. Blow this away. Brahman placed a straw in front. The god of air attacked the straw, but failed to move it. Then he ran back to the gods and confessed, I failed to discover who this mysterious being is. They begged Indra, leader of gods, 
find out who this mysterious being is. I will, promised Indra, and approached the being, who disappeared instantly. In his place appeared the lovely goddess of wisdom, Uma, daughter of the Himalayas. And Indra asked her, Who was that being? Uma replied, That was Brahman, from whom comes all your power and glory. The gods realized at last, the self is Brahman, Agni, Vayu, Indra. These three excel among the gods because they realized Brahman. The light of Brahman flashes in lightning. The light of Brahman flashes in our eyes. It is the power of Brahman that makes the mind to think, desire, and will. Therefore, use this power to meditate on Brahman. He is the inmost self of everyone. He alone is worthy of all our love. Meditate upon him in awe. So I think this is uh, just a beautiful story because in a lot of ways, I'm just going to stop the uh, sound sharing. I think it's fine. Um, but in a lot of ways, I think the idea of the gods in, in general is a way of expressing the way that humans relate to each other. We think of each other as gods almost like we are these very powerful beings who can affect change in this world. Um, and that that is, you know, we and we still fight amongst each other. It's, it's really just a projection of the the highest human aspirations and, you know, grandiose ideas about ourselves onto the cosmos. That's what it means to believe in the gods. And a lot of them, I think, really represent different human emotions or different forces of nature or what have you. Um, but in this story, I think the the main point is. None of these gods, the god of fire, the god of air, um, the god of what have you, they all approach this other being and who is somehow greater than them. And they realize the limitation of their power. And that's the ego approaching the real god and realizing, hey, you know, there's only so much that I can control. And I'm truly actually limited. And then the god of, of wisdom appears in place of the god the main god and this god of wisdom gives over this idea of oh that was actually the real one you guys are just kind of figments in his imagination and i think in a, in a lot of ways that's the the experience that a lot of us have on the religious journey and the spiritual journey is the humbling of the self when you realize how little you can control and you start off life maybe with these grand aspirations and thinking that we can do all these things. And then we're met with the reality of there's something and someone much larger than us. And he's actually the one that is calling all the shots. And in a way, we are all a dream in his mind. To me, that's incredible. To me, that's like just a total head trip because when you stop perceiving yourself as the subject and God as the object, and when you reverse that, you say, hey, actually, God is the subject and I'm the object. It forces your ego to surrender. And the irony is there was never an ego in the first place that needed to surrender. And this God as the subject was always what was. And there was never you and never anything you had to do in order for him to be there reigning supreme in, in very ancient terms or just fully loving and being and flowing through everything in more Eastern terms. So to me, this is a beautiful thing. And when we read the Zohar, I hope this exact idea is going to come through because in a lot of ways, what I think the Zohar is, um, and it's something I've been developing as I'm learning it, is I think it's a meditation. I think it's a meditation that's trying to teach the Jewish ego how to surrender to God in purity and beauty. And it's it's trying to hold your hand through this very difficult ego trip that we all go through. And it's trying to teach you step by step how how is it that I find myself truly connecting with God, the real God. And what we end up feeling like the gods in this story, 
who find their limitations, but then are just left in total awe of the real God. So we'll continue from where we left off last time. We had a beautiful story last time about uh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and um, Rabbi Hiya having a vision of going up to the heavenly academy of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and different characters being in that vision. And in the end, the Mashiach starts crying when he hears from a secret from the head angel. The head angel told the secret that he heard from behind the curtain, meaning Hashem himself said this. What is that, that secret? That Hashem will never forget about his doe, the little deer who is the Shekhinah. Hashem will never forget about his presence among human beings. And this was so moving to the Mashiach, the Mashiach started crying. I think this is really such a beautiful idea because it, it's a reflection of and a manifestation of a part of our ego. In each of your egos exists the concept of the Mashiach. And what does it mean for the Mashiach to cry? It means that he's so moved in your psyche. This being is so moved that he starts crying because he hears that Hashem cares about him uniquely. He hears that Hashem cares about Ben Israel uniquely. And that's really what the ego wants. The ego wants to be loved the way that any unique little child wants to be loved for who they are, for their uniqueness, and for their specialness. And the only way for the ego to let go of itself and to not go on some kind of rampage is for it to fully receive that type of unique love. And then, ironically, it can let go of itself and really open to God. And that's not even, the, you don't even have to get rid of it because there's nothing to get rid of. So let's let's continue reading in the Zohar, and they're going to make it. This is kind of like a new derasha, and we're still in Bereshit. The word Bereshit we've been going on for classes and classes and classes just on the word Bereshit. So let's see what comes up. Bereshit in the beginning. Rabbi Shimon Patah, Rabbi Shimon opened. And he said, "I have put my words in your mouth." That's a pasuk from Yeshayahu. How vital it is. So you guys can, if you want, you can follow here. No pressure. Um, how vital it is for a human being to engage in Torah day and night. Uh, so it's it's so important for humans to engage in the Limud Torah all the time. For HaKadosh Baruch Hu listens to the voice of those who occupy themselves with Torah and every word innovated in Torah by one engaged in Torah fashions one heaven. So it's saying you are a mini creator. And every time you engage in Limud Torah, you're creating a mini heaven. That's basically what it's saying. It's very empowering to the human being. So this is, I think, a form of a guided meditation. Imagine every time you learn Torah, you are in this headspace where every word that you utter, you're imagining and you're realizing, is creating a gateway for you towards HaGadosh Baruch Hu. And I think that's what it means when it says it's creating a heaven. So let's see, it's going to explain a little bit more. We have learned, the moment a new word of Torah originates from the mouth of a human being, that word ascends and presents herself before HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Right, so the word ascends and presents itself, the, the, the footnote says Tif'eret, right, so one of the Sefirot, um, who lifts that word, so Tif'eret is like this beautiful, um, you know, beauty-laden uh, Sefirah. So Tif'eret, lifts that word, kisses her, and adorns her with 70 crowns, engraved and inscribed. Right, so why 70 crowns? Number 70 very often appears in the context of Revelation, of Nivu'ah, and also the 70 languages, so somehow it's something that is like universally beautiful. I think that's what it's trying to express. But an innovative word of wisdom, right, meaning Hidushim, or, or, or a new mystical insight that somebody has is so special, it rises higher than any other new interpretations, right? One is able to innovate in Torah matters that Moshe himself was not permitted to reveal. That's according to, uh, I would have to look up where exactly that source is. So an innovated word of, of mystical truth now ascends and settles on the head of Sadiq, the righteous one. And we know in Kabbalistic literature, Sadiq is Yesod. Yesod is the lowest of the ten sefirot, and it is the one that, it's like the male 
phallus that interacts with Shekhinah. And it's it's directly connecting the spiritual world with the physical world through Shekhinah. So now you're taking this mystical insight. It's going to the head of Sadiq, vitality of the worlds, right? So it's called He Almin, right? So it's considered um something that's really giving life to the world through these these ideas of wisdom and th through this divine intercourse, if you will, between uh, Yesod and Shekhinah. From there, it flies and soars through 70,000 worlds, ascending to the Ancient of Days. Right, So now it's flying through all 70,000 worlds, corresponding to what? To the seven lower Sefirot. So now your word of wisdom is entering through this lower portion of the Sefirot, and now it enters through all the seven lower Sefirot. So it's climbing closer and closer to Hashem itself, himself until it gets to who? Atik Yomin. What's Atik Yomin? The Ancient of Days. And it comes from a pasuk in Daniel. The Ancient of Days sits the hair on his head like clean fleece, his throne flames of fire. And the Zohar, this name designates the primordial Sefirah of Keter. So Keter is this highest Sefirah that's right below the Ensof, right below infinity. So your word of wisdom, of new mystical insight, is capable of carrying you up through all the Sefirot, all the way to Keter, which is directly connected to Ensof, to infinity. So let's see what we make of this. All the words of the Ancient of Days are words of wisdom conveying supernal, concealed mysteries. Right, So everything here is considered some type of very, very deep mystery. Um, and as we say, things hidden by the ancient of days, right? So that's in Masechet Pesachim. This is the, the footnote. Things that are that are hidden by God already from the time of Bereshit. Um, and Masechet Berachot says, May your steps run to hear words of the ancient of days. Um, and when you look in Baba Batra, let us engage in words of Torah and words of the ancient of days. So this, these are very, very deep mystical truths. And the reason I think that it has to do with ancient of days is because when you start to really get into that mystical space, you start to realize this is something that brings you to the very first moment of creation up until right now. And that experience of this moment is contiguous with the very first moment of creation. That is the mystical vision. And your word of wisdom right here, right now, can carry you through all those sefirot until you get to Keter, which is right at the Ensof. And right at that place is where you start to experience there's something ancient about this. It doesn't feel like a modern insight. It's like the experience of I'm remembering that which I forgot that I forgot. I forgot that I forgot that I am actually one with this ancient thing, which always was, always is, and always will be. I think that's really what it's hitting at. When that secret word of wisdom innovated here ascends, it joins those words of the ancient of days. Along with them, it ascends and descends, entering 18 hidden worlds, which no eye has seen, O God, but you. Ain lora'ata. Elohim Zulatecha, right? No eye has seen except for you, Hashem, right? So it's almost like the Or HaGanuz LaSaddikim, the light that's hidden for the Saddikim only in Gan whatever that means. So what are these What are these 18 hidden worlds? Recalling the phrase above, we said, the vitality of the world, which is, was describing the Yesod, the divine phallus. The word has a numerical value of 18 Right, so now it's just reminding you of where all this started was from the Yesod and Sadiq Yesod Alam. So the Sadiq is always represented by this Sefirah of Yesod, which also is represented by He Almin. Also, it's giving forth this vital energy, this vital force. Um, and if you look in Masikha Dabud Azarar, what does God do at night? He rides his light kerub, right, his light cherub. And sails through 18,000 worlds. 
So this very deep statement is trying to get you as a human being to start to experience like, what does this mean for me to be in a mystical state of mind? It feels like I'm soaring with God through these 18,000 worlds. And the reason I think there's always this sexual imagery and we're like afraid to talk about it. It sounds a little strange when I say it for me too. But I think that insects, the experience of orgasm is the experience of I have arrived. I'm fully, fully at peace. And there's nothing more that I need to do right now. That experience is like 160th probably of the mystical experience where you're fully soaring with God through those 18,000 worlds. I think all of this is embedded in there, and we've seen other stuff like that. Uh, and also, if you look in Masechet uh, Berachot, it says, Rabbi Hayabar Abbas said in the name of Rabbi Hanan, all the prophets prophesied only concerning the days of the Mashiach, but as for the world that is coming, no eye has seen, O God, but you. Uh, what you will do for the one who awaits you. All the prophets prophesied only concerning masters of return, but as for the completely righteous, right? So we can't even comprehend what this is talking about because in order for us to comprehend what this is talking about, you would have to be God. You're the only one who can really get this, but it's waiting for you. If you're able to be Sadiq, if you're able to follow whatever pathway towards the divine that you can, being a Sadiq, following whatever ways of Torah that we are taught, and being lucky enough, honestly, to have this happen to you. When this happens, you experience it as, wow, I didn't realize till now that this is what Hashem had in store for me. And but there at the end of the day, to bring it back to what we were talking about earlier, there's a merging of your consciousness with God's consciousness. And that's why you have this experience. Elohim, you're the only one who saw this. Nobody else could have seen this. And it had to be through your eyes. And thank you for letting me look through your eyes. Everything I'm saying right now is like almost a I I I don't even want to speak these words because it's it doesn't do justice, of course, to the experience. But I'm I'm hoping that my words can be like pointing you in a certain direction. Great. Emerging from there, they roam until they arrive full and complete, presenting themselves before Atikyomin, right? So the words now, or the insight that you had, uh, finally presents itself before the Ancient of Days, right? So your, your insight and your experience now is fully confronting this ancientness. At that moment, the Ancient of Days inhales the aroma of that word, and it pleases him more than anything. All right, so it, it reminds us of, reminds me of Noah when he first leaves the Teva, and he she makes that first korban. And Hashem smells the the pleasing smell, but I think more than that is is like the ketoret that existed in the Mishkan, which was an incense that was supposed to be inviting, according to Rabbi Sassoon, really anybody who wanted to go and meditate in the Mishkan was invited to do so. And the Ketorit was like an incense for that meditation. So it's, it's now it's like Hashem himself is inhaling the aroma of that word. What does that mean? And it pleases him more than anything. Right? So it's that experience of, aha. That's the way I see it. Like when you smell the Bessami, you say, aha. That's, the experience almost as if Hashem, whatever Hashem is in your psyche, he's doing that when you when you realize this thing. Lifting that word, he adorns her with 370,000 crowns, right? So Hashem is now, uh, 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 this is an allusion to why 370,000. So 300,000 is the top three sefirot, 70,000 represents the bottom seven. So the top three each are 100,000 each for some reason, and then the bottom seven are 10,000 each. But it's just a, a clever way of expressing all 10 sefirot. So Hashem is adorning it all with these sefirot. The word flies ascending and descending and is transformed into a heaven. Right. So now this word goes up and becomes a heaven of its own. Just that word was enough for you to enter into a space. 
that is so blissful and so peaceful and so connected in a loving relationship with God that it itself is like a heaven. So each and every word of wisdom is transformed into a heaven, existing enduringly in the presence of the Ancient of Days. So everything is existing simultaneously before Hashem. He calls them new heavens, newly created heavens, hidden mysteries of supernal wisdom. So Hashem is talking about all this stuff with the utmost praise. As for all other innovative words of Torah, they stand before the blessed Holy One of Bafur Kadosh Baruch Hu. So all other insights that are non-mystical but still insights in their, their own right stand before Akadosh Baruch Hu, then ascend and are transformed into earths of the living. Right, so now these words are, are considered not heavens, but earths of the living. Then they descend, crowning themselves upon one earth. Right, so now, now they're descending. These, these non-mystical insights are connecting themselves to Shekhinah, right? Uh, because Shekhinah, the singular, represents earth of the living. Um, here it says something interesting. Uh, the Shekhinah is adorned and renewed by human insights of Torah, which have been transformed into planetoids, miniature earths of the living orbiting her. So it's almost as if your non-mystical insights are creating other spaces of, you know, not necessarily at that highest level, but just on the very human level of just living with God. You can almost think about it as like, that's the Gan Eden version. And what we were discussing before is like the Olam Haba version. Right, so living in the perfect physical space versus living in the perfect spiritual space. That's the best I can do right now. If you have anything else you want to add, you let me know. Um, all right, so it's which is renewed and transformed into a new earth uh, through that renewed word of Torah. Concerning this is written, as the new heavens and the new earth that I am making endure before me. All right, so Hashem is saying in Yeshayahu. Uh, the heavens and the earth endure before me. So because he's talking about heavens and earth that endure before me, these, these mystics are saying, all right, the heavens are the mystical insights and the earths are the non-mystical insights. But both exist on some kind of plane of meditation that you can connect with and live on when you engage in these insights. The verse does not read, I have made, but rather I am making. Right, so it's not the past tense, I already made this stuff. The, it's not the original creation that we're talking about, but rather, I am making. For he makes them continually out of those innovations and mysteries of Torah. So Hashem is constantly creating these worlds for you through your Torah insights. Of this is written, I put my words in your mouth and covered you with the shadow of my hand to plant heavens and establish earth. That's also from Yeshayahu. The verse does not read the heavens, but rather heavens. All right, so because it's not the heavens, but rather heavens, the reference is not to the existing heavens, but to new heavens. So if you look in Masichet Sanedrin, Rav said, concerning one who studies Torah for her own sake, it is as though he built heavenly and earthly palaces, as is written, I put my words in your mouth and covered you with the shadow of my hand to plant heavens and establish earth. Rabbi Shimon amplifies this teaching and radicalizes it. Note how the phrase, it is as though has disappeared, right? So in our Zohar now, it's not it is as though, but rather it is. So the, the, the Zohar is really connecting with the spiritual element of things that we already saw in the Gemara. People are so afraid to learn Zohar, to be honest. I think it's literally just a compendium of a lot of different Midrashim seen through a certain lens with the Sefirot. So for me, I think it's, you know, this is just my humble opinion that it's okay for us to be learning this. Um now we have a very interesting footnote about Moshe Rabbeinu that we'll get to right now. So, Mabil Azad asked, what is the meaning of I have covered you with the shadow of my hand? Right, so some pasuk saying that Hashem is covering the Navi with the shadow of his hand. He replied, when Torah was transmitted to Moshe, myriads of celestial angels came to scorch him. Right, so so this is something I really was very interested in getting to because, of course, this is spiritual psychotherapy. So I hope some of the stuff I already said can present it in that way. But here, this is something as well. We all have this this chronic feeling of unworthiness, especially when we approach spiritual topics like this. As Alan Watts would say, you know, when you start when the ego starts to be elevated and elevated into some you know, spiritual level, if you will, 
It's like all the creditors that you've been avoiding start coming to seek their debts. So you start to remember all the things you did wrong and all the reasons that you're not worthy of God's love and the, all the reasons that you're not worthy of this mystical insight. And I think this vision or this meditation of Moshe with the angels is expressing exactly this idea of what do you do with this very real, humble human emotion? And it's not phony holy. It's not phony humility. It's, it's true humility. Because we see how small we are. We know we're flesh and blood. We know we're limited in time and space. Who the heck am I to approach something so supernal? Well, listen to the advice that Moshe gets from Hashem himself. And try to use that in your own guided meditation, in your own psyche, the next time you approach God in any way. So what is this? What happens? So the, the angels wanted to scorch Moshe, but Hashem sheltered him. Now when this word ascends, it is aroused and stands before the holy, the blessed Holy One. He shelters that word and covers that person so that he will not be discovered by them, arousing their jealousy, right? So Hashem makes sure that your insight, and we'll get to the story in a second, but Hashem makes sure that your insight will not be a source of jealousy and scorn from these angels. And by the way, it doesn't just have to be angels in your own psyche that this happens with. If you start going around to people in our society and telling them how happy you are, that you feel spiritually connected, what's going to happen? They're going to get jealous. It's a totally normal human reaction. I've had it. You've probably all had it. We've all had that experience of who does this guy think he is? You know, and there's a reason that we in the West crucified Jesus. I'm not saying we Jews. I'm saying there's a reason that the, the, the story of Jesus ended in him being crucified. Because in this way of thinking, where you have a king as the ruler, uh, you know, being God, if you conceive of God as king, and then you say, oh, I'm the boss's son. What happens? Everybody starts to re to resent you, and they're gonna they're gonna nail you to the cross. But the beauty of the way I started off, and with the Upanishad stuff, and the gods being humbled, and the, also the everything being part of this oneness, it's like there's a democracy in heaven. We we all I think personally, there's, it's important to have many different ways that we relate to this ineffable experience that is God. Sometimes we certainly should and must and do relate to God as king. That's a very normal human need is to, to relate to God as king. But it's not the only way to relate to God. The other way to relate to God is as the Tao, as that which flows through all of us. That which is greater than us, but not in a way that's like putting us down. So the way they talk about the Tao the Tao loves and nourishes all things. It um, it flows both to the left and the, to the right. It and it, when good deeds are accomplished, it does not lord it over them. So the point being, it doesn't say, "Look at me, how great I am," how, you know, because that's a good way of like putting us down and putting the ego down, which I think is necessary in some ways psychologically. You need to go through that stage of God is above you and I am below God. But then once you're kind of at that place where you have a certain degree of humility, you're able to connect to this idea of the Tao, I think, of that which flows through all of it. So when these gods are humbled, I think it's the same experience. Um, and part of the problem with us as humans is that we project onto our psyche and onto our psychology human dynamics. So we're constantly projecting human dynamics onto heaven. So what does it look like in this vision? Oh, I can't I can't be great because if I'm great, the angels are going to be pissed at me. Or if I'm great, my just on a practical level, my fellow men will crucify me. But they say in India, if you say you don't understand, I, I realized I, I'm God. I, I'm one. I'm I'm part of God. Like when they say I'm God, they don't mean I'm the only God. They say like I'm God and you're God. They say, at last you figured it out. Come join us and have a seat. And I'm not saying it's better or worse, but it's a different culture that's able to tolerate someone having a mystical experience. But us growing up and living through a, a Jewish framework and a Jewish background, 
we need this type of guidance that Moshe got. And I think not only us, I think the Hindus, you need it. I think everybody needs it because we're all human beings who have these biologically driven drives to project human dynamics onto our psyche. So what does Moshe do? So first of all, Hashem is promising that he's covering the person and their insight so that he will not be discovered by them, arousing the jealousy. Before that word is transformed into new heavens and a new earth, as is written, I've covered you with the shadow of my hand to plant heavens and establish earth. From this we learn that every word concealed from the eyes attains supernal value. As is written, I have covered you with the shadow of my hand. Why was it covered and hidden from view? For the sake of supernal value, as is written, to plant heavens and establish earth, as already explained. So let's see what this story is about Moshe Rabbeinu. So angels came to scorch him, jealous that a mere mortal dared to enter the celestial realm. This is 186 if you want to follow along. When Moshe ascended on high, a band of angels of destruction, so it should be on the on the bottom of that of one of those pages, just uh, in the footnote oh, oh, section. Sorry. Yeah, no worries. All right, so when Moshe ascended on high, a band of angels of destruction sought to scorch him with the breath of their mouths. What did the blessed Holy One do? What did HaKadosh Baruch Hu do? He spread over him some of his splendor. Hashem gave Moshe some of his hod to kind of protect him. We've seen this concept in the Torah itself when Moshe Rabbeinu is passing the baton on to Yehoshua ben Nun. And Hashem says, you should, I'm going to give some of your hod, some of your glory onto him. But really, of course, this is, so Hashem is kind of the one that is the source of this Ruach and this Hod, and it's flowing through Moshe onto Yoshua. Here we have a little bit of uh, of that concept, but it's directly onto Moshe Rabbeinu to protect him from the angels. And of course, this is when he's receiving the Torah. So let's see. Masechet Shabbat, Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi said, when Moshe ascended on high, the ministering angels said before HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Master of the universe, what is one born of woman doing here among us? Why are you letting a Yelid Isha be among humans? And we had this last week when we talked about the, the vision of Rabbi Haya sitting at the feet of Rabbi Shimon. Uh, one of the, the, I think it was one of these angels, saw Rabbi Haya. He says, what is a person of flesh and blood doing here? Should let him die. So that he could ascend up to these supernal realms with us. And Rabbi Shimon said, he's my student, give him time. And then he returned to this physical realm instead of having to die in order to experience certain revelations. Similar flavor here. So they're saying, what is, what is a, a, a human of flesh and blood doing among us angels? He answered, he has come to receive Torah. They said that previous that precious treasure hidden by you for 974 generations before the world was created, you desire to give to flesh and blood? All right, so this is amazing because what is it saying? It's saying before Torah was ever given, there were a thousand generations that had to pass. Meaning before Moshe Rabbeinu, there were 974 generations. Moshe, sorry, Moshe Rabbeinu is the 26th generation from creation right so from from Adam Arishon to Moshe you could count it yourself Adam to Noah is 10 Noah to Abraham is 10 and then 6 more to, to Moshe is 26 which is not just a coincidence which is Yod Kevavke there's so many different examples in Parashat Va'era uh, and it's Ani Hashem Hashem reveals his name for the first time if you count that Yod Kevavke to the end of it's exactly 2,600 times that God's name appears. Or if you count that Yod Kevavke till the end of Devarim, it's 1,352. Or like one of the other Yod Kevavkes in that passage of, I'm revealing my name Yod Kevavke for the first time, Ani Hashem. If you count from Ushmi Adonai Lonodati Lahem, from that Yod Kevavke till the end of Devarim, it's 1,352, which is 26 times 52. So it's all about 26s. So this it's not it's not insignificant that Moshe is the 26th generation, and he's also the one to reveal Yudke Vavke to Ben Israel for the first time ever. 
And this 974 thing is saying, oh, well, we have it as axiomatic that there had to be a thousand generations until the Torah was given. So there's 974 generations before the world was created. What's the thousand generations before the Torah was That created? I couldn't tell you okay. why, but it sounds like some kind of nice whole number about, about this. But it's okay. a good question. I think it's kind of trying to emphasize that Moshe was the 26th also. Yeah, but it's a good question. So let's see how this story continues. Uh, you desire to give it to give it to flesh and blood to Hashem, but maybe it's like a treasure that you hid for so long, even before the world's created. You're gonna give it away to this Yalid Isha. What is a human that you are mindful of him, a human being that you take note of him? From this beautiful um Tehilim right? When I gaze upon the heavens, the work of your fingers, Hashem, you know. The, the 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 moon and the stars that you've created. What is man that you should be mindful of him, a human being that you take note of him? Hashem, why do you even care about us? That's the feeling of smallness. All right, so this is exactly what we were just discussing. This feeling of unworthiness. This feeling of, and added to that unworthiness is this competition of these other, and that's kind of an outward manifestation of this unworthiness. There's going to be angels who don't want me to have it. There's going to be people who don't want me to have it because at the end, I'm not worthy. I'm just a human being. The angels are saying it too, God. What do you want from me? Answer them. So Hashem is telling Moshe, you answer them. What does Moshe say? Master of the universe, he replied, I fear they could scorch me with the breath of their mouths. They could light me on fire. He said, grasp my, my throne of glory and answer them. He says, grasp onto Kisakavod and answer them. Grasp onto that which is absolute and then you can answer them. If you fully empty yourself of all this unworthiness, of all this nonsense about I'm really not capable. And you, I think it's perfect that it's Moshe because we see who he was in the beginning of his career as a Navi. He says, um, I'm not a man of words. He says, send somebody else. What am I going to tell Ben Israel? I need a sign. He goes through the whole rigmarole. And that's why it's so fitting that Moshe was the first Navi to reveal God's name fully because he went through, psychologically, that which all of us go through when we approach God. He is the quintessence of success in that category. So what Hashem is saying is grasp my throne of glory and answer them. I really believe that this means when you connect with that which is beyond your ego, when you connect with a teaching, that has already been established for you. It will serve as your guidepost. It'll be your northern star. That is the Kisei Kavod. The Kisei Kavod, in my humble opinion, represents that which is not from you. It's something that you got from your teachers before you, and your teachers before you, and they all got it just from knowing God initially. And someone else had their mystical experience, and they were kind enough to pass along those symbols to you. you. You can cling to those. And those will be valid pathways towards me. And they will stave off the angels. Rabbi Nachman observed, this teaches that the Almighty spread some of the luster of his Shekhinah and his cloud over him. That when Moshe was able to grasp onto the Kisah Kavod, at that moment, Hashem was able to spread some of his hod and some of his kavod and his, his anan onto Moshe. And that protected him. What does that mean symbolically? It's so interesting to me. I'm still struggling to understand. But to me, this is really what I think it means. Is that when you as a human being who is really just lacking in that self-esteem... And it could be starting off like Moshe Rabbeinu as like this humility that's not what God is looking for. But then when it's transformed into the true humility, which is what Hashem is looking for, 
All right, so Moshe starts off by saying, Lo ish devarim anochi. He ends up writing all of Sefer Devarim. There's a lot of these flipovers in Moshe's life. He starts off with God getting angry for him for things that he thinks he's doing humbly. He thinks, oh, look how humble I am. Hashem, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. That's not real humility, says God. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So he goes from being this person who is, honestly, with the phony humility, it's self-absorption. What's the difference between that and having an ego? Shyness is a form of ego just as much as arrogance. But who does Moshe Rabbeinu become? So I think it's so beautiful because, uh, you know, actually a couple of years ago in, in Allenhurst, I spoke about Rabbi Shama on President's Weekend. And, um, you know, I, I went through all the presidents, how they were really all about, you know, their their mission. And Lehavdil, Moshe Rabbeinu, there's this very interesting pasuk in the Torah. It says, when Moshe was descending from Har Sinai, it says, Moshe didn't even know that his face was glowing after that encounter with God, after God spoke with him. And my question was, how could it be that this person who knew the deepest secrets of the world, who knew Hashem Panim El Panim, he was so close with God, he knew things we couldn't even imagine, things we don't know that we don't know. And yet, he didn't even know this thing about himself. He didn't know that his own face was glowing. And I said, if you look earlier in the Pasuk, you'll find the answer. And what was what's earlier in the Pasuk? Because the Luhot were in Moshe's hand, he was singularly focused on those Luhot. There was nothing else that mattered. It wasn't about, hey, look at me. I'm the vessel for God. That's all you hear now. These are things that we struggle to, 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 to speak about now because we're, we're always trying to give ourselves encouragement because we really just feel unworthy at the end of the day whenever we approach spiritual stuff. Because we feel just dirty and, uh, you know, that we're just humans of flesh and blood. How could we ever? For Moshe, he went through that period of his life. That was... The beginning of, of Sefer Shemot. But now at this point, Moshe Rabbeinu, when he's at his peak form on Har Sinai, he has literally a piece of Har Sinai in his hands. He chiseled it out of the rock of Sinai. And that's the Luhot. And that's why he didn't know that his face was glowing because he wasn't focused on himself. He was focused on the mission. And that's why the Easterners and the Buddhists and whatever will tell you there is no self. The real way to, to help yourself get away from this idea of a limited self is to realize there is no self and was no self. No separate self, if you will. And therefore, there was, there was never anything to get rid of. And because there was never anything to get rid of, you didn't even have to do anything. Just focus on your mission. Just do what you're doing. And that's the equivalent of just being like Moshe and not knowing even that your face is your face could be glowing, but there is no self to take credit for this or to feel arrogant about this at that point. I think that's where Moshe Rabbeinu was. Uh, so the reason I love this is because it, it takes all this stuff and it says, just cling to the 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 throne of God, the Kisah Kabod. And that represents exactly what we're talking about, which is this absolute truth that you received from somebody. Maybe even the mission that you need to, to be doing, which is just doing goodness in the world. Doing what the Kisah Kavod represents, which is Siddhaqah, Mushbat, all the teachings of Torah. And when you do that, Hashem's protection will be around you in the sense that it'll protect you from ego. It'll protect you from these ego battles with angels in your own psyche or with people who want to crucify you. All right. So I think this is a good place uh, to pause. Maybe we could read uh, one more little paragraph here to say to Sion, you are on me, my people, to say to those gates, those distinguished words, uh, those above those, you are 
ami, do not read you are ami, my people, but rather you are in me. You are with me, becoming my partner, just as I made heaven and earth by speaking, as is said by the word of Yotkevavke, with Baralai Shamaim Nasu, the heavens were made, so do you. Happy are those engaged in Torah. I think this is so beautiful because it's it's reflecting all of what we've we've spoken about, which is once you are able to put aside your ego, you become okay with saying, hey, look, I'm your partner, God. I am indeed your vessel. And I don't have to remind myself of that by saying that. I can just be that. And that's why it's in me. Hashem, you're with me. And I'm with you throughout this whole journey. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen. Mazaku Baruch, everybody. Thank you for, for joining. I hope it... Uh, I hope it fulfilled uh, whatever desires you had to to experience tonight. I know it started off a little strange, especially if it's your first time coming, but uh, I, I hope that it whets your appetite for what these ideas are really about. And, and just on a very direct experiential level, I hope that it improves your quality of life and your way of approaching the divine. Thank you guys for joining. Thank you. Good night.